Okay, assalamu alaikum. Uh, welcome to our second class uh, on Marvels of the Heart here at Amber Cafe. Uh, and uh, we're very happy and privileged to have all of you with us. We have some new faces. Um, and we have some folks who were with us last week. Uh, regardless, we're really happy you're, you're, you're going to be spending the next hour and a half with us as we go through this uh, ancient but very relevant text with our teacher, Mustafa Ghani. A um, couple of housekeeping matters. The first is, uh, if you registered for the course uh, online, then you would have received an email with uh, uh, some important details with how to get access to last week's recording. Um, as well as some information about parking. And we're going to use that list as our way to communicate with folks who plan to be here regularly. So uh, you don't have to register to be with us, uh, but it's, a, uh, it's the way to stay in the loop with that material and that information. So please register if you haven't already. Um, we had a great uh, session last week. Um, and uh, if you were listening to the recording, you heard that it, it was going so well that Mustafa threw the recorder. Um, <laughs> And uh, so the quality of the audio recording last week kind of drops off at about 20 minutes, and hopefully this week uh, we'll try to keep Mustafa contained, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a reasonably good recording throughout the entire session. And then next week, our hope is that we have some other stuff that we have planned to make it even better. So this week will be better than last week, and then our third week on will be really good quality and child stuff that you can listen to comfortably in your car, or wherever you might want to be reviewing it, or listening to it for the first time if you're not able to make it. And also uh, a way to share uh, the material with, uh, with friends and family who aren't able to make it. But if you can listen. come, please come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, come. Please come. Um, uh, Two, two final things. The first is, uh, when people come into the space, as you can see, it kind of fills up as we get closer to start time. Um, anyone remember what it's like walking into a, a cafeteria at high school where like all the tables are full and you're by yourself? You walk in and you're kind of looking around and you're, like, your heart rate picks up and you start to breathe faster and you start to sweat. Maybe that was just me. <laughs> Maybe those are, you know, uh, old stuff. But uh, what we don't want is for people to experience that when they come into the space. So if you have an extra seat, an empty seat, uh, don't make them be the person to say, can I sit here, please? Uh, indicate to them to come sit with you. Okay, let's, ju let's implement that policy, the please come sit with us policy. Uh, if there's an empty seat and you see somebody walk in, let's make room for them. Uh, and then finally, uh, there is uh, a place in the back here to donate uh, towards uh, the cost of covering the space, as well as materials um, and other stuff that helps make this, makes this event and others uh, possible. So if you'd like to donate by, it's, you can donate by uh, Saleh, Visa, MasterCard, yes. debit. Yeah, so any any card that you might have, you can donate there at the end of the class. Uh, and there's also a cash box if you'd like to drop in some cash. And without any further ado, bismillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala sayyidina muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. اللهم افتح علينا بحكمتك وانشر علينا برحمتك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله في كل لمحة ونفس عدد ما وسعه علم الله يا عليم علمنا من علمك ما ترضى به عنا ولا تآخذنا بما تعلمه منا يا حليم خلقنا بخلق الحلم وحققنا بحقائق العلم سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم رب اشرح لي صدري 
ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين Welcome again. It's very wonderful to see you all. I, I, I try to be mindful of time. It just never quite works out. But I might be checking my phone occasionally. Alhamdulillah. Um, Alhamdulillah. So we started this really beautiful journey exploring the marvels of the heart. This really powerful and really beautiful organ. This secret that's within each of us. And last week we kind of introduced the topic. But we were speaking a little bit about how when we speak about the heart, not only in Islam, but within spiritual traditions, typically we're not primarily referring to this amazing piece of flesh that resides in each and every one of us. But primarily we're referring to your spiritual heart. And that is the essence of who each and every one of you is. Is your spiritual heart. And, you know, that is... Matters of the heart are what truly matters. And your heart is your essential you. It is everything about who you are. And it is also the very foundation of religion because when God addresses us, He doesn't address our brains primarily. He doesn't address our arms or our legs. He doesn't address our stomachs. But he addresses our hearts. And it is the heart that is the vehicle on which we take the spiritual journey. All that is good about you is rooted in your heart. And all that is maybe something else is also rooted in your heart. But to know the heart is one of the really important and primary principles of religion. Because to know the heart is to know the self. Um, to know the heart is to know who you are. And to know the self is to know God. Because the beginning of knowledge is knowledge about yourself. And we progress from that point to recognize that I'm weak. And I don't have knowledge. I'm ignorant. And I am this and that and the other thing but in that you recognize that I am weak but God is strong and I have no power but God has all power and I have no ability but God has all ability and I have no knowledge but God has all knowledge and so that begins with knowing the heart and so that's why this is so important but today what we're going to focus on and if you're following in the book uh, oh I forgot to take out my book but if you are following in the book, which is a really nice translation of the marvels of the heart by Imam al-Ghazali, and we said, spoke a little bit about who Imam al-Ghazali was, why this book was so important to him in his own life and in his own spiritual journey. But um, if you're following in the book, we're doing pages 4 to 11. And so the big questions we want to tackle today are, first of all, what are the components of the heart? And what is it that makes the heart so special and so unique? And then secondly, what is the difference between the physical and the spiritual? And we put those in quotes because I don't really know if those are the best words for the things that we're talking about. Um, and kind of to keep you on your toes, we flip those questions around because we're actually going to speak about the second question first. But the first question is more important, that's why it's the first question. Anyways, 
but, but those are the things that hopefully by the end of this session we'll have answered, and then we'll have some time for Q&A as we usually do. And uh, alhamdulillah. If you missed last week, you're welcome to catch up on the recording as our brother Farooq uh, mentioned. Alhamdulillah. Um, so the first thing we wanted to speak about is what is the difference between the spiritual and the physical? And that is a really important question for us because, you know, we live in a time where that sort of distinction isn't really made anymore. And in fact, we live in a time where to even speak about things that relate to the spirit, to speak of the spirit itself, right, is absolutely considered absurd. It's considered gobbledygook, right? It's like nobody, nobody talks about, nobody says the word gobbledygook, but nobody talks about spirit, spirituality anymore, right? Because it has nothing to do with science. It's not something you can see. If I start talking to you about my spirit, you'll say like, what are you, what are you smoking, right? Like those are the only spirits that I know, right? Um, so, and that is a feature of, of modern living. It's kind of a feature of the modern world because the modern world and materialism Materialism is a doctrine that, I mean, there's lots of different definitions, but the definition I'm going to go off of is the idea that reality and the world around us is what we can touch and taste and feel and smell and see, and nothing more than that. And that has an old tradition here in, in I, I mean, I hesitate to say the West, but I mean, that has a long history. And how we transition from understanding the human being and reality as like multifaceted with lots of subtleties there, right? A holistic being. And how we transition to that, from that to just thinking about humanity, thinking about knowledge and, and all of these sorts of things as just like chemical processes, right? And that's radically reductionist. But in Islam, as in all great spiritual traditions, we understand that the unseen, so the unseen is another word that we use for spiritual, right? And the unseen is those things that you can't possibly interact with. At least not with your hands, not with your eyes, not with your ears. Those are things that are beyond what you can sense. And as we understand, as God and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught us, the unseen dominates the scene. What's behind the scenes is really what's dictating what actually goes on before you. Like for example, this class, right? You just see some funny little man sitting on a stool and speaking. But you don't see all the work that's gone into, like from brother, uh, Sister Fatmi and Brother Farooq and Brother Saleh and everybody else who helped. Uh, and Sister Maryam who wrote these wonderful questions. Actually, the questions aren't so good, but the writing is wonderful. Anyway, like you don't see all the work that goes on behind. But it is those organizational efforts, for example, that enable everything to move smoothly so that you have those signs outside and you know where to park and stuff and you don't really pay, necessarily pay attention to all of those details and yet everything works like a well-oiled machine so too is reality that the things you don't see are what dictate what are the things that you actually see and whereas we say that the unseen dominates the unseen materialism says that the unseen doesn't even exist and that's a big problem but I'm going to... Oh, is, is this an eraser? Oh. 
<laughs> I'm not very competent with these things. Anyway. I'm going to introduce an idea that's a little bit complicated. And um, I will say that I think we're going to go through a lot of concepts today that Ghazali lays out, and some of them that are important for us to understand what Imam al-Ghazali is talking about. But it is a little bit heavy, so I hope you'll bear with me. And please feel free to ask questions. Uh, ideally, like at the end, we would like to leave some time for questions and answers, but um, you, you're welcome to interrupt me as well. In any case, um, so we speak about the mulk. And the mulk is what, what you might call physical. And we speak about, um, I, I, I think about color coding this, I don't know how I'll do that. But. And we speak about malakut. These are Arabic terms, of course. Which you might say is the spiritual. And then we speak about the jabaruts. Which is the divine. And those translations that are given aren't really good translations, to be frank. But they're not really things that can be easily translated. But we speak about multiple layers of reality. And so the mulk is the physical thing that you say, you, that you see, right? I'm drinking the water for an important reason. Because I want to use this cup, right? So the mulk is the thing that you see, is the aspect that you touch and taste and feel and hear and smell and so forth, right? This is mulk. This cup, and the cups that from which you're drinking, the chessboard, whatever. The things that you see and interact with, this is mulk. This is physical. And those are the questions we often ask of science, for example. Like, how much does it weigh? And what is its mass? And what's the density? And what is this and that and the other thing, right? That's the world we interact with. The malakut, which I call spiritual, for lack of a better word again, right? The malakut is a question that, in a materialist framework, we don't even ask. The malakut is like the why. The malakut is like, what does it mean? If I ask you, what, does, what is the meaning of the glass? What does the glass symbolize? What is its significance? You, again, you'll ask me what I'm smoking, right? Because that's not a question we ask. That's not a question we ask. If I ask you, what is the meaning of that beautiful flower over there? If I ask you, what is the meaning of the tree? Like, those are, those are absurd questions. But those are questions that we deal with in Malakut. And, and that is the world of archetypes. That is the world of symbolism. As the poet, Sheikh Ibn Habib, may God have mercy on him, um, he said, إِنَّمَا الْكَوْنُ مَعَانٍ قَائِمَاتٌ بِالصُّوَرِ كُلُّ مَنْ يُدْرِكُ هَذَا كَانَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْعِبَوْ He said, indeed, the cosmos, the world around us, is but meanings. Drawn up into images. 
Like everything that you see, everything is just meaning, drawn up into images. Right? So this is like the image. This glass is like the image. The meaning of the glass, the reality of the glass, that is the reality of existence, of being. Everybody who understands this, anybody who understands this is from the people of discernment. It's from the people of the spirit. And so that's at the level of Malakut. And then above that, we have the level of Jabarut, the divine. And there's many more levels of existence, but that's the one we'll start, stop with because Jabarut is to understand not only the meaning of these things, but to understand how these things reflect God in His divinity, in His infinite characteristics. So I look at that tree, right? You look at that tree. And what I see and what I touch is this nice, beautiful tree. Does anyone know what kind of tree that is? Sorry? Those are elm trees. Though. They're, they're elm trees? I, oh, okay. I don't know much about trees. <laughs> I should know more. But let's say... I mean, this is a beautiful elm tree. You feel the bark. You see how tall it is, right? You see its leaves. And you see all of these beautiful... The color of the leaves and the color of the bark. You see all these beautiful things. All of that is in mulk. All of that is the physical. Then we start to ask, what does the tree mean? What does it signify? And those are questions at the level of the malakut. So you see, what does the tree mean to the animal who comes to, you know, take from its leaf? What does the tree mean to the traveler who's wary and needs some shade? Perhaps those trees don't provide the most shade, but regardless, what does the tree mean to somebody who's just lying against it and writing, um, I don't know if they're writing a novel or something like that, they're writing poetry. What else would you do against a tree, right? What does the tree mean? What does it signify? What's its purpose? And then you ask the bigger question, which is, how does this tree reflect God? And that's the question at the level of the Jabarut. Because then you see the tree, not as a tree, but you see the tree as al-Razzaq. You see the tree as the one who provides for every being and all of creation. And you see the tree as al-mateen, the one that is strong, because God has fortified it. And you see the tree as... Right? And for those who are really deeply imbued in these meanings and realities, they see that. They see God before they see creation. And that is more certain for them than the world around them. But if I take you, if I show you this glass, where is the mulk? You can ask, answer, sorry. Where is the mulk? Where is the mulk? The glass itself, right? Where is the malakut? Where is the malakut? That's true, that is what the malakut refers to. But that's not where the malakut is. That's a good answer. The malakut is right here. No, it's, it's, it's the same as the mulk, the glass itself. And where is the Jabarut? It's exactly in the same place. Right? The glass has a manifestation of, as a reflection of the attributes of God, of the characteristics of God. 
right? It's in the same plate. Can you understand that? Because I don't understand that. Just like three different realities existing in the same thing? Well, there's layers of reality, right? And we can't really wrap our heads around that. That's something that you can experience. But if you experience it, you experience it with your heart. That's really important, though. Because we start speaking about spiritual heart, and we start speaking about the spirit itself, and we start speaking about the soul, and we start speaking about the intellect. You can't understand those things until you've been exposed to this. Reality is complex. Reality is subtle. Um, but we need to make that that important thing because even a lot of us, even as believers, oftentimes we don't even recognize these things. And oftentimes we, growing up in these educational systems and so on and so forth, we're not taught to think in those ways. But that is a very powerful way of thinking. I guess I don't have to erase that right now. Um, in any case, when we speak about the heart, as Ghazali speaks about the heart, he will in his text speak about the physical heart, the physical self, and, and, and things of that nature, and he'll also speak about the spiritual aspects of that. Um, and you have to bear in mind that Imam Ghazali, God have mercy on him, lived about you know a thousand years ago almost. And Imam al-Ghazali really imbued, I mean, when he speaks about physical things, for example, or he speaks about the physical spirit, that's not something that in, today we would speak about, right? And more or less, my understanding is that Imam al-Ghazali's understandings of the physical are, are perhaps primarily for historical interest we might say I hesitate to say that but but maybe it's it's more of a, a historical thing we don't con- we don't conceive of the body in a physical sense the same way that physicians at the time of Imam al-Ghazali did but he's really reflecting that right um, but that's not his primary purpose in any case right his primary reason for re- writing this is so that we can reflect on our own spiritual journeys on our own journeys to God and that relates to the super heart, or the heart of hearts, right? Um, and so the next aspect we want to speak about are the components of the heart. And so there's four important terms here. And there are four realms, or four aspects, or four parts of the heart, you could say perhaps, the spiritual heart. And there are four related terms. And they kind of telescope into each other. So you have a telescope, right? You know, like a telescope, you, you have the little thing, right, and it's, it's, it's small, and then you pull it out, and you have all of these different, like maybe three different parts of the telescope, right, people have seen telescopes, I assume, right, <laughs> at least you've seen it on your phone, right, <laughs> anyways, um, it is one thing, but you can also expand it and you can see the three different aspects, they telescope into each other, and all of these names, they pertain to a single reality, or they describe a single reality, but they describe different aspects of that thing. And the first of those realms that we'll talk about
Um, is the heart. I, I, I'm not an artist, right? But, okay, this is the club, right? Does that look like a heart? Yes? Oh, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Okay. So that's the heart, right? That's the first term. Number one is al-qalb, the heart. And we started off, or at some point in last week's class, we spoke about the famous hadith of the Prophet, may God bless him and his family and involve them in peace, where he said, Allah wa inna fil jasadi Right? And indeed, in the body is a morsel of flesh, or a piece of flesh. When it is sound, then the body is sound, and when it is corrupt, then the body is corrupt. And of course, that is a reality. And in that sense, the Prophet ﷺ is speaking about the physical heart. But the meaning of that is referring to the spiritual heart. And just as your physical heart, this amazing organ, right, which, you know, pumps, as we mentioned, like it beats 60 to 100 times in a minute. And about 100,000 times in a day. And it pumps about 7.6 liters of blood on average throughout your whole body every minute. Or rather, with every, with every, well, I guess with every pump. Oh, actually, sorry, yeah, yeah. With it, throughout, in a minute, it, it pumps about 7.6 liters of blood. That's about 400 liters in an hour. That's like 10,000 liters in a day. Which is, you know, really mind-boggling. Like, that's like 400, like, in an hour, it's like four, or 100 milk jugs. 10,000 liters is like, 2,500 milk jugs. <laughs> you can't even imagine that one. But every single day, day in and day out, your vasculature, right, like your blood vessels and your arteries, if you were to extend that and like make it one long line, that would be almost 100,000 kilometers. That's like inside of you. Each one, each one of us, inside of us, we have 100,000 kilometers of blood vessels. If you were to wrap that around the world, you could wrap that around the earth twice. And that's inside each and every one of you. So this physical heart is really something amazing. And it is a very special gift from God. But just as that powerful organ works throughout your whole body and gives you physical life, so too does your spiritual heart give you spiritual life. And it is that latter heart, the spiritual heart, that we speak about right now. And that is the qalb. That is the qalb. And that is the ultimate essence of the human being. And it does have a very special relationship with this physical heart. But it has a very special relationship with your whole body, with your whole being. Your arm is your heart. Your stomach is your heart. Your brain is your heart. All of those physical aspects of you are your spiritual heart. And that's again something that you probably can't understand because I don't understand it. But it's true. Right? And we do have an obligation. It is very important for us to learn about our spiritual heart. Because as we said earlier, the spiritual heart is the very foundation of religion itself. God speaks to your heart. 
God addresses your heart. God commands your heart. God prohibits your heart. And your heart is the ba- it, it is the foundation of all of your characteristics. You know, things like, well, for people like you, generosity and courage and uh, selflessness and love. And, you know, we also have the opposites of those things. But all of those things, you know, like arrogance and greed and um, all of these ugly things that we see in ourselves, all of those things are rooted in the heart. Right? And when we speak about the spiritual heart, Imam al-Ghazali gives different definitions of what that is. And he speaks about these four different terms that we're going to go through. But he says that they really refer to the same thing, which is this subtle aspect of you, this unseen aspect of you that is who you are and is all about you. In one definition, he says, the subtle aspect of the human being that has profound knowledge and perception. Or he says, He says, the subtle aspect of you, the subtle, spiritual, lordly aspect of you. Well, what does that mean? Like the latifa, this, this subtlety, it's something that you can't see. And it's something that defines every single human being. But it is ruhani, it's spiritual, right? So it's not something that we can interact with. And it's also Rabbani. Rabbani means that it's lordly. Right? And so it is your heart, your spiritual heart, that is the basis upon which you interact and you relate to God. And the primary meaning of being Rabbani is to have these seven characteristics, which in, I'm not going to go through them in detail, but I will mention them. When we study Aqidah or when we study the Creed, these are very important because these are called the lordly attributes. And these attributes or these descriptions or these characteristics of God, they are characteristics, the names of which we share. And God is unlike anything in the world. God is like anything in creation, not like creation. And yet we have attributes or characteristics or descriptions that share the names of God's characteristics. And so in that, we have enough knowledge or we can have enough to reflect upon so that we can begin to experience, not know, but experience the attributes of God. You can know something about them and you can know enough about them. But those attributes are life, knowledge, uh, will, power, speech, Sight and hearing. Right? And of course, all of those things are affirmed for God in the Quran, but they're also things that you, you and I need to have. Right? Everybody here is alive, unless you're dying of boredom. Right? Um, that was a joke, you was supposed to laugh or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Sometimes those jokes fall flat. Anyways, um, we all have life, we all have knowledge. Some of us, you know, especially the younger ones, they probably know a lot more than I do. But we all have knowledge, we all have will, 
Like if I want to do something, if I want to drink this water, then I sit down and I drink. Right? We all have power. We all have ability. Like I can pick up that glass. We all have speech and hearing and sight. You know, God protect our senses and stuff like that. Not everybody has those, I suppose. Um, that are rooted in your heart. Um, but when we speak about qalb, when we speak about the heart, qalb is the Arabic word for heart. And when we speak about the qalb, you know, it comes from the root qaf, lam, ba. Right? And if you know something about Arabic, I don't really know anything about Arabic, but with Semitic languages generally. So the same thing happens in Hebrew and, and other Semitic languages. Um, you can reduce words to three-letter roots. We don't have that in English. And we don't have that in most European languages. But oftentimes you have a cluster of meanings that are clustered around these three-letter roots. So for example, uh, in, which relates to knowledge, goes down to the three-letter root of Ain, Lam, Mim. Right? From that same root, you have Ta'lim, which is teaching. From that same root, you have Ta'allum, which is learning. From that same root, you have I'lam, which is informing. Right? And uh, from that same root, you have Isti'lam, which is to seek understanding or to seek knowledge and things like that. Um, but that's not very commonly used. Anyways, you have these, uh, these, like many different ideas, teaching, learning, uh, informing, seeking knowledge, things like that. All of that goes back to a three-letter root, right? And so likewise with, with, with the word qalb, right? It goes back to a three-letter root, which is qaf, lam, ba. Right? I can write that if you want. So that's a qaf, My writing in Arabic is no better than my writing in English, unfortunately. Anyways, there's a qaf and a lam and a ba, right? And the basic meaning of qaf, lam, ba is something that turns. Isn't that interesting? Something that turns. Something that flips. Right? And that is the nature of our hearts because our hearts are constantly turning and flipping and being exposed to this and that and the other thing. Your heart is very sensitive. Your spiritual heart is very sensitive. And your spiritual heart is very vulnerable. It's very vulnerable in the sense that different influences can come in and affect it and change it and can hurt it and can give it trauma. But that's also a very beautiful capacity because the heart being vulnerable, vulnerable to flipping and being changed and so forth, that is also the capacity that enables us to relate to one another and to connect with one another because we all share that fundamental vulnerability. But that is rooted in the heart itself. That's rooted in the heart itself. The nature of the heart, the heart is described like a mirror. And so it reflects what comes before it. And that too is why, you know, your beloved brother or your beloved sister, you know, we're mirrors for one another. 
as the Prophet says in the well-known hadith, Al-Mu'minu Mir'atul Mu'min. The believer is the mirror for the believer. That mirroring happens in your heart. Because ultimately, really, you know, this great secret, this great divine gift that God has put in each and every one of us, it is in each and every one of us. So I have that, and Brother Farooq has that, and Sister Aisha has that, and Sister Fatih has that. Everybody, everybody has that. And so when I come and I see somebody that I love, and I say, Salaamu Alaikum, and how are you doing, and stuff like that, and we're happy to be with each other. We're happy, I see all of you, I'm happy to be with you. And that's because we're mirrors for each other. Right? We reflect that profound spiritual reality about us. And we don't realize that, oh, I'm meeting my brother Saad because uh, he is, um, you know, has this profound spiritual reality within him that is reflected by my own profound spiritual reality. And because we connect on that level, therefore we have a relationship. That's not the point. Right? But that is happening. Just like your heart beats every second and every, you know, just like your heart beats and, and thousands of liters and millions of liters go through your body of blood every, without you even knowing it, so too your hearts connect, your spiritual hearts connect when you come into each other's presence and we spend time with each other. So that's the heart. The second term that he speaks about is the spirit, the ruh. And again, he speaks about two aspects of that. He speaks about the physical spirit and the spiritual spirit. And we don't really speak about physical spirit in modern medicine, really. But it is an important, it is an important thing to think about. Because your spirit, basically, is the aspect, that give, the aspect of you that gives you life. Oh wait, I'm supposed to write, or I'm supposed to draw a spirit. So, so I tried to think of these four terms and how I could draw them. So we have the heart, right? This is the heart. Um, <laughs> Which Aiden thinks looks like heart, but I don't know why. So, so but I, I can't, I can't really draw wings, but I'm gonna try to draw wings. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> Anyways, this is like battery wings. Does that look like a wing? Does that look like a wing, Aiden? No. Yeah, I don't think. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> okay, I will label it so people don't misunderstand. Okay, that's a wing. Okay, so this is your spirit. Well, actually, well, it's actually your spirit. Anyways. But your spirit is basically the thing that distinguishes between somebody who's living and somebody who's dead. And the last time we were going through some of this stuff, there were lots of doctors in the audience, but unfortunately today there are none. Somebody who is a doctor told me that he would be here today. He told me that last night, but I guess he didn't make it. <laughs> Regardless, it's an interesting question that I like to ask. What is life? Does anybody... Like, how do you define life? Or maybe somebody is in bioscience or is a researcher, or has done grade 12 biology, I don't know. Does anybody know what life is? How do you define it? Oh, oh. oh yes, sir. I'm just taking a stab at it, but... Um... Don't take a stab at a life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to refrain. Um, but uh, the... Like, for example, thinking about in, in theology, thinking about the, the, the attribute of life for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's the attribute, to my understanding, that is there so that the other attributes are, are there. However, you're, you're not allowed to answer this question. 
not. You're not. Standing, I'm getting kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just ignore. Actually, no. What he said was very valuable. But the, the, you ruined everything. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. But anyways, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> okay. So like with that, we're done now. I'm gonna go. Anyways. <laughs> Life in, in biology, when we speak about life, we don't actually tell you what life is. We speak about different um, functions of life. We talk about things like organization and reproduction and uh, like hemostasis and all sorts of things. We talk about like eight different functions of life. Well, what is death? Right? We have these ideas of what these things are. We speak about functions of life, right? But if I spoke about, like, uh, um, who, who else? My brother Faisal, right? You know, like, he has lots of functions, right? He, uh, uh, well, he's a son, and he's uh, uh, a student, and he's, uh, well, he's not, like, a, in a school, but he uh, works for such and such company, and he mows the lawn, I assume, and he, um, eats food and stuff. He has different functions, right? I can tell you about all these functions. I can say there's a person in Edmonton named Faisal and these are his, some of his functions, right? You don't say, like, what are you talking about? Like, who is Faisal, right? I've told you these functions, but I haven't told you who Faisal is. Likewise, I can tell you these functions of life, but I haven't told you what life is. And I can tell you, you know, even death is even harder to define from a, a, a physical point of view, because you have things like brain death, and like, how do you define death? And yet we have like a practical understanding of these things. So I can tell, like without hesitation, everybody here is alive, right? And you know, if, if that's not the case, I have, I have my stethoscope as well, so. Yeah. You know, if we're speaking about marbles at the heart, I should probably wear my stethoscope. <laughs> this is just in case. Anyways, um, um, so, yeah, like, we, we understand so-and-so is alive and so-and-so is dead. And, you know, it's really amazing. I don't know if anybody here has seen somebody pass away. Have you actually, has anybody here been present? Yeah? So a few of you. It, it's a very powerful experience. Come to that, I've never seen somebody close to me pass away. I, I don't know if that's, I don't know what that would be like. But I have seen other people pass away in the hospital and things like that. And it's really amazing because, you know, sometime if we have time, we'll share a story. But, you know, you see somebody and they're just, they're lying there in their last moments. And you can hardly hear their breaths. And they don't move, they don't change. But there's a sudden difference. Like very subtle, like you just look at that person, you see something change about them when they die, the moment that they die. It's like you can see their spirit being lifted away. I, I apologize if, if that's uh, triggering discussion for anybody or anything like that. That's not my intent. But it is a powerful experience. And There is something called life and there is something called death. God says in the Quran, He says, He is the one who has created life and death. 
to test you to see who of you is best in action. And so God speaks about life and death as things, things that are created. So life is a reality. It's not just a bunch of functions that pertain to you. And uh, death is also something. But in science, in medicine, we can't define it. And it's not really of our interest. And in fact, we can't even define it on any level, really. right? Because again, that's one of those spiritual secrets that we don't have access to understanding. Anyhow, there's a difference. Your spirit is essentially the difference between you being alive and you being dead. Um, and the spiritual aspect of your spirit, God says in the Quran, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الرُّوحِ قُدِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي وَمَا أُتِيتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا And they ask you concerning the spirit. Say, the spirit is from the affair of my Lord. And you have not been given any knowledge but a very little bit. And so again, we don't speak a lot about the spirit for a few reasons. Imam al-Ghazali says because that is from the knowledge of unveiling. And that's not his primary concern. And I'm not going to say a lot about what that means. But he also says his, his concern in this book is practical knowledge, practical spirituality. Meaning, we want to give you enough knowledge about the heart so that you can do something with it. So that, you know, you can use that knowledge as a basis for you to come to God. And you can use that knowledge to be a good human being, to serve the people around you, to, to nurture that, and so forth. We're not interested in spiritual secrets and mysticism and things like that. That's not Yom Ghazali's concern in this book. So that's one reason we don't speak about the Spirit. The other reason we don't speak about it in depth is because the Prophet ﷺ himself did not speak about it. Right? As God says in the Qur'an, they ask you about the Spirit. Say the Spirit is from the affair of your Lord. Like this is something, this knowledge of this pertains to God. And so you don't have access to that. And so because the Prophet ﷺ didn't speak about it, we don't speak about it either. But again, we say about it that it is this subtle substance, this subtle reality about you. That is the basis of your knowledge, of your perception, the way you interact with the world. And it's the basis by which you interact with God, by which you relate to God. And it is your angelic aspect. Like the human being has angelic aspects and animal aspects. And what's amazing about the human being is that he or she brings those things together. And it is because you have a ruh, or that aspect, that spiritual aspect of your heart, that you're able to understand things like meaning and symbolism and things like that. So, so that's a way. <laughs> the next term that we talk about is the psyche or the soul or the self, the nafs. So, so, so the nafs is the easy to draw. So this is this, this is the nafs. <laughs> uh, that's kind of a cop out. Anyway, the nafs. The nafs is basically who you are. The nafs is what you mean. Okay, there's two aspects of the nafs again. There's two two different meanings associated with the nafs. One of the things which um, scholars often talk about is your lower self. Right? And that pertains to, or that relates to things like your anger and your passion. Anger and passion are very important. 
And you have to put them in the right places. Right? Your, your passion for um, food, and also your passion for relations with the other, uh, with others, right? Those things are very important, but they need to be in the right places. But when they speak about the lower self, they speak about those things out of, out of proportion. Like you can't control your anger, or you can't control your passion. Uh, and that becomes a big problem, right? Or you, you don't have enough of that. Regardless, right? That is one of the meanings of the lower self, uh, of the self, of the nafs. And that's why they speak about, you know, as it comes in the hadith, whose authenticity I'm not sure, but it's related by Imam al-Bayhaqi on the authority of Ibn Abbas, that the Prophet said, that your worst enemy is your own self that is between your sides. Anyways, that is referring to the lower self. That's referring to when you can't control your anger and you can't control your desires and everything's out of whack. That's one meaning of the nafs, and that's practical meaning. But the meaning that primarily concerns us, your spiritual nafs, or yourself that reflects your heart, that's what we mean when we say I. When I say I, when I say Mustafa Ghani, or I show you, uh, oh, I was going to get my driver's license, but that's... But you know, the picture on your driver's license, that is your nafs. Or that's in your passport, right? Everything about you that defines your identity. Your nafs is what you mean when you say I, or me. And again, it's this subtle reality that you can't see, and so on and so forth. But that is essentially your nafs. And there are three types of the nafs. And Imam al-Ghazali speaks a little bit about that, but I don't know if we have time to speak about that. Um, so we probably won't. Um, maybe we'll come back to that, maybe. Anyways. But, you know, your spiritual self has stages. And God speaks about these stages in the Qur'an, by which it goes from this lower self that's just... All it wants to do is satisfy its physical desire. That's it. It wants to eat, and it likes this, so it takes that, and it doesn't like that, so it destroys that. And no rhyme or reason to it. It's just driven by its desires. And then it gets to a stage where it starts to blame itself until it arrives to a place where it's at peace. We can speak a little bit more about that later. Um, and then the fourth term that we want to speak about is the aql. Oh my god, I can't draw this. Either. But uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is supposed to be a brain, but it's. Uh, Does that look like a brain? No. No? Okay. Well, I tried it. <laughs> I know, I already. Yeah. Yes? Oh, thank you. Well, I, I, I practically, uh, I didn't really do well in anatomy, so um, there's reasons for that. Anyhow, um, the last term is the intellect. And again, Ghazali says there are two meanings of that. There is knowledge itself. So the intellect can pertain or can be used to describe knowledge itself, like things that you know, right? 
like uh, the floor is gray and the walls are red and uh, the coffee is bitter and so forth, right? Those are, those are aspects of knowledge. But the other meaning of intellect is the means or the faculty by which you know things, right? So that is your capacity to know. And it's interesting, the reason I put a brain, even though we're talking about the heart, is because the intellect in our tradition, the majority of our scholars consider the intellect to be something that's related to the brain and it's related to the heart. And, and that's an old debate. We're not going to speak a lot about that. But it has a very special relationship with the brain, just as it has a very special relationship with the heart. And insofar, and as much as it's the spiritual intellect, and you know something that we don't see, it pertains to your whole body, in fact. Your heart is intellect. Your brain is intellect. Your stomach is intellect. Your liver is intellect. Your arms and your legs are intellect. Um... But the intellect, again, is, some, is this powerful tool, this subtle spiritual reality about you, by which you can know things. But in our tradition, intellect is never just about information or knowledge or things like that. Intellect is always moral. And intellect is always ethical. Right? And so again, we have the uh, three-letter terms. Or sorry, the three-letter root. So you have the Ain, qaf, and the lamb, right? For aql, right? Which is the Arabic word for intellect. And again, ain and qaf actually, when those two letters come together, they have this sense of binding or knots and things like that, right? Like aql is like a knot, right? And you could say that aqidah or creed is something by which you're bound. And it kind of sounds like that too, like aqu, like aqu. It's 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 like it's very guttural sound, and it's very like it's very strong like that. It, it has a sense of binding. Aqu likewise has a sense of binding. Ain qaf lam. And we speak about the iqal of a camel, right? The iqal is the hobble by which you. So it's kind of like a bridle, you know. I don't know if anybody here is anybody here do any horse riding or anything like that. Um, but you've seen the, the, the thing that they put on the face of the horse, right, for example. The hobble of a camel is something that you put on the face of the horse, and that's so that, you know, you can rein it in. Sorry, no, no. No, that's not how you do it. I think it's for... Oh, I, I don't... I, I've never been a camel horse. So, but you have to... Yes, sir. So that's true. I mean, I, I, I trust you. I, I actually don't have experience with that. But, um, well, that's pretty cool. Um, but the camel hobble is actually something that you use so that the camel doesn't run away, basically. Right? And that's called an iqal. Your intellect works the same way. Because you have the nafs, right, which is your lower self, that wants to, you know, oh, that looks good, I'm going to eat it. And, oh, that... Um, that looks bad, I'm going to beat it up, right? Um, the intellect kind of reins that camel back in. Right? So, you know, you realize, oh, that looks good, I'm going to eat it. But it's also my fifth croissant during, during the, in the last 20 minutes, right? Um, and I probably should be a bit more careful, right? Things like that, right? Or, oh, that looks really delicious, I'd love to eat that, but it's also pork and I'm not allowed to eat that, right? 
uh, and so on and so forth, right? The intellect reigns in, and the intellect also sees the consequences of actions. The intellect sees the consequences of actions, right? Like, because whenever you see something that looks really delicious or re- really appetizing or appealing, something you want to do right now, you only see, like, your, your, your vision is, like, really, like, just very nearsighted because you just see the temporary pleasure you'll have from that. But you never see the end of it. Right? And that's why you go into it. And then, you know, you eat 20 croissants and then you feel bad about it, right? Um... The intellect enables you to see the after effects, right? Like, oh, I'm, if I eat all of that, I'm going to get sick, and that's not going to be good for my, uh, you know, my diabetes, for example, and uh, you know, I have to be more careful or something. Else. I don't know. It's not going to be good for my health in general, right? The intellect enables you to see that, and then it reins you in so that once you recognize the end result, you're, you're, you're going to be a bit more cautious about that. But that's why it's moral. And there's things much worse than eating croissants that we want to do. Right? And your intellect reigns you back. Like, I could hurt this person. I could take their money. I could do this or that or the other thing. I could get some benefit or advantage by, by putting this person down. The intellect tells you no. The intellect tells you no. Because it is a moral capacity. But because, you know, like I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me. And that's not how we behave. That's not how we interact with each other. And God would be displeased with that, and so forth. Right? And, you know, the intellect is spoken of as al-hakam, a judge. It determines the status of actions. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this somewhere in between? Where are the benefits? Where are the harms? And it's also called hakim because it's very wise. Um... So that's a basic introduction to those four terms that we discussed. The heart, the spirit, the self or the soul, and the intellect. Those are very important for understanding our hearts. And we spoke a little bit about the spiritual reality or the symbolic reality of those things as opposed to the physical because we don't believe in a world that's just touch and taste and things like that. But we believe in something that's much more beyond and much more powerful. And that's not just a world that we just think about. That's a world we experience. You know, the instant connection you have when you meet somebody on the first meeting. That's not just coincidence. That's not just some biochemical process or something like that. That is the secret of reality. That's the secret of destiny. These powerful dreams that show you things that will happen in the future. Or that show you something. Intuition. Right? I remember, you know, like 10 years ago, I was walking in Chicago, and my mother was in Edmonton. And I was walking, it was early in the morning, I was crossing the street, I was going to the mosque to pray the Fajr prayer. And, you know, like there was a green light, I don't think the white man was there, but I don't, this is, anyways, <laughs> but, anyways, but like the, the cross, it was, it was supposed to be crossing. So I was walking, and... You know, a car came and suddenly turned left, and then bam, it just hit me. And I remember I went flying through the air, and I saw some like flashing lights, and I thought, so this is what it means to die. And I hit my head too. Um, spoiler alert, I didn't die. But, um, 
I was really shaken up, right? And, you know, the guy who hit me, actually, he was also going to Fudger. And he was like, oh my god, let's go to Fudger. And he put me in his car and took me to Fudger. I was shaking. Like, I was praying. No, no, he asked me if I'm okay. And then I said, yeah. He's like, okay, let's go to the mosque. I said, okay. <laughs> I, I was like sitting, and then I saw my father there, because my father was with me at that time. And then like, I think I used to go to the hospital. Uh, and, you know, uncle just dropped me off, and, <laughs> and we went to the hospital. My dad took me to the hospital. And uh, they were going to charge him on hit and run, but <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> Anyways, um, the point of that, you know, my mother was in Edmonton, and, you know, we didn't tell her what happened. But at the very moment that I got hit, she started having a panic attack. Like, thousands of kilometers away, she started having a panic attack. And she didn't know why. And she, she just, like, she, she just couldn't calm down or anything. She had, like, no reason for that. And she told me, like, when I told her that night, like, you know, everything was okay and alhamdulillah was alright. But when I told her that night, she said that's, like, she, she said, well, you know, she was very shocked, but she said she knew it because she, she didn't know why, but she was just having this panic attack. That's intuition, motherly intuition. That's not biochemical process or whatever. There's, you can't explain that at the cellular level or whatever the case may be. Right? Those sorts of things. We experience reality as much more deep than just what you touch and see and so forth. Right? But our capacity to understand that is through understanding the heart. And so that's why we go through this discussion. That's why we speak about the realms. And inshallah we move, God willing, in the course of coming together and being together and discussing these things together, we get to move from just understanding those things on an intellectual level or a theoretical level and stuff to really experiencing that and really traveling with it and really progressing with it and make it a, making it our means to arriving at God, arriving safely with God and His Messenger. Inshallah. So we could maybe do questions or comments or something else. Anybody has anything to share, or counter comments, like criticisms, or anything? Questions? Yes, sir. Am I allowed to? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering because I've, I've heard uh, this way. I'm really interested in the little root of uh, of these words uh, that, that you're sharing here, and. I haven't quite come to a firm understanding with ruh, so I know it's related to breath and wind, because it's similar in the Hebrew tradition. Is there, and also for like nafs and nafus, um, I'm wondering if there's any insights, because it's so helpful to know about, you know, how it turns, and how it restrains, you know, like yabal. But I don't know the tridental relation and importance for ruh and nafs. Bismillah. Uh, God knows best. But with regards to the ruh, as you mentioned, Ra'wal-ha, right? What color should I use? Green? Let's use green. 
Anyways, that pertains to the idea of wind or, right? Rih is, 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 uh, is a wind, and it's a powerful wind. And rawh uh, is actually repose or comfort and things like that. And there's other related words. Uh, God knows best, but perhaps one of the meanings of that In part refers to what we spoke about an sa'ila, that your soul that courses through your body, which also courses just like wind. But primarily it is the reality that God, as he says about Jesus in the Quran, and we breathe into him of our spirit. Right? And so the spirit is a divine breath. It's a secret. And that doesn't mean that I have part of the divine in me, like in a literal sense. Or that uh, you know, it's nothing like that. It's a sec- it's not something you can understand. But the spirit is something that God breathes into us. It's a secret that God breathes into us, and understanding that is beyond what you or I can really fathom. We're created beings. We're in the world of creation, but we interact with God in this very powerful and spiritual, special way. That is my understanding about that. With regards to the nafs. Uh, nafasa refers to something that's very precious, like nafis. And nafas also is bright. And again, in the hadith, and the exact wording is escaping my mind right now, God speaks about, or rather the Prophet speaks about Every nafs, every soul, or every being that is uh, I believe the word was tanafas, that God essentially breathes these souls or beings into existence. Wallahu a'lam, but God knows best. But those are some of the, the relationships in terms of the words that I understand about that. I haven't read a lot about that. And so part of, uh, a big part of what I'm saying is, is speculative. Like, I'm just going off the cuff. We can look more into that, inshallah. Actually, maybe you'll look into that. And you'll tell me next week. Maybe I'll be over for coffee and we'll both look into it. Inshallah. Ami, 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 Ami. Ami. Yes. Wa alaikum as I was just going to talk about that. Anybody having actually seen it? Right. I have a few That's really beautiful. Yeah. I just I wonder what that means. I mean I have I feel like I have a lot of 
feel like it would definitely it's a good thing, it's not, but does that maybe, is there more, or does that reflect that person's, you know, character, purity, characteristics? I'm not sure they're clear or really good people, but it was just like, they're gone, but it wasn't, it wasn't like everyone was just like, ah, and crying, it wasn't like that. Yeah. I mean, that's a very beautiful reflection. It's a very powerful experience, and it's something that never leaves you. Um, with regards to the tranquility or the peace that you know we experience at the time of death, uh, God willing, that's a good sign. But we also don't want to put too much stock in that, um, because not for those instances that you're describing, but when the opposite happens, because sometimes deaths aren't peaceful. And sometimes they're quite painful. And sometimes it's very difficult to watch. And in fact, the Prophet's death, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was very difficult. It was very hard on him. And he's the most pure and beautiful soul that ever was. But that is what, you know, that was what they saw on the lead up to his passing, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that he had fever and he had pain and things like that. And actually, you know, even if somebody has a peaceful death, you, you often do see that. Um, but those realities are things that are also beyond what we can really, really know, because part of it is, is the wisdom of God, and part of it is the secret of destiny. And, you know, that being said, those, those experiences that you have and that you process through your heart are very powerful, and they're divine gifts. And those are things you, you, you often can't even speak about because nobody can really experience what you experienced. Um, but they are true. Well, um, is that, is that, do you have any other? No, just a reflection. Yeah. I did notice that piece that it's subtle and you do, you do notice it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes? I have a comment about that. To connect it, look like when you see the candle, when it's almost to blow out, you will see that the light starts. Mm -hmm. You see the fire in the last minute of the light is going up high, right? And then suddenly stop. That's really. For me, I see a lot of that in survival. I found that that how the light is, and you cannot judge that if the person is a painful, is a good symbol or bad symbol. We, I encourage you to go and read the last bit of the Rasulullah and he go to and each of the pain food that he got into, he made dua that he said, Allah, take the pain food that all of my woman, the pain food Allah. that my woman going to face it. Go take it from me. Allah. Because the way you read that heart death, you will cry and then you will ask yourself, Rasulullah do this much for us. Allah. And how what about us? People usually talk about this life from the beginning, but very few you have a chance to read about when the past when he died. It's really touching to you. So yeah. it cannot, like, this is just a pure, everything is good, but he take all those pain in the last minute for us. So then we cannot say, like, okay, that we pain and then we good or bad. Right. That's, that's very beautiful. Yeah. Just only know that death just come. Maybe you don't even know that the dead will just knock your door. Yeah. You don't even see that progression. Yeah. That you will just, if you need to walk out and then that's it, you're gone. That's really amazing. 
And I like what you said about um, the candles, because that's what Ghazali speaks about too, when he speaks about the ruh and the spirit. He speaks about it like, a, you know, like life is the light of the spirit. Life is the light of the spirit, which is like your spirit is this candle, and it's uh, burning very brightly. And you know, if there's a dark room, we don't use candles a whole lot anymore. In um, the Gambia, I remember we used them a lot because we'd often lose um, power. And in India, we used it sometimes. But, um, or at least where I lived. Anyhow, um, you know, when there's a dark room, you have a candle, or you have a flashlight, or whatever the case may be. And you go through the dark house, right? And when you come with the light that illuminates the whole room, and when you go to another dark room, that illuminates the whole room, right? That is the example of the spirit, because the spirit, the light of that candle, the spirit, the candle is the spirit, the light is light, right? And just like you have your limbs, your spirit courses through your body. If we can speak about that, I don't know. Um, but somehow there's life in your whole body. And when spirit leaves that part of the body, then that part of the body dies, right? It, the light goes out. It's darkened, right? Like God protect you if somebody were to lose a limb or something like that. Like you can tell the difference, right? It's not the same if somebody, God protect us all, were to lose his right arm, for example. It's not the same as his left arm that's still attached, right? Because the candle has gone out there. So that is one way of understanding the spirit as well. And, of course, the death of the Holy Prophet was a very powerful thing. It was a powerful experience for the Sahaba, who loved him more than anybody, anything, anything. And they said when the Prophet entered Al-Madinah, everything was light. And when he died, everything was darkness. The world was dark. And it was never the same ever again, because that candle in the physical world was no longer there to bring light to the world. And the Sahaba, the companions, really experienced that. That's a very difficult thing to read about. It's also a very beautiful thing to read about. Yes, sir? Uh, two questions. The first is... Uh, second's going to cost you. What's that? The second's going to cost you. Okay. Uh, the, first, the first question is, you spoke about these terms being telescopic. Yes. Uh, can you just now that we've gone through them, can you explain what you meant by that? And then two, um, a lot of times we'll talk about some of the things you mentioned to each other, to our colleagues, even think about them uh, in the framework of emotions. And when you're thinking about the source of your emotions, biologically being the limbic system, like in the brain, I'm wondering if you can help. I, I don't really have a question except a, a maybe a request that you made. Talk a little bit about how that interacts with uh, all of the the four the four uh, terms that we discussed today. Um, those are very interesting questions, and I don't know that I can really answer them entirely. In part because uh, I don't know the answers, but in part because also there's not really time to go into them in a lot of depth. But um, with regards to the telescoping and so forth. Um, 
would be nice, you know, like oftentimes when, before I prepare for, well actually when I'm preparing for these things, I was like, oh, if only I had a telescope, if only I had a Domino's actually, because I'll, I'll talk to about Domino's in a second. Not the pizza place, but the actual things, right? Because uh, your second point relates to something that I wanted to speak about, but I didn't. Anyhow, uh, there are certain terms in language, in Arabic, but in language generally, that, you know, they say in, in Arabic certain things like, uh, Right? When you bring them together, they separate. And when you separate them, they come together. What does that mean? That's like, you know, like Arabic scholars, they like to like play with these little word games. But they sound cool. Anyways, when you bring them together, they separate. So, like, what's an example of that? I say Islam and Iman. Like, submission and faith. Right? If I mention Islam and Iman together, then they have different meanings. Right? When I mention them together, Islam refers to, you know, your bodily actions and your bodily devotion to God. And Iman refers to your belief. But when I mention them separately, then Islam means Iman and Iman means Islam. When I separate them, they come back together. Right? So if I just say Islam, then what I'm referring to is your faith and is your bodily actions and is your worship and so forth. And when I say Iman in isolation, likewise, it refers to your faith and your worship and your devotion and also refers to your beliefs. Does that make sense? So when I mention them together, then the meanings are different. And when I mention them separately, the meanings come together. Likewise, it is with these four aspects of the heart. So if I say qalb, if I say the heart, then I'm also referring at the same time to the ruh and the nafs and the aql. I'm referring to all four of those terms. Because when I mention them in isolation, they come together. If I say the nafs, I'm referring to the qalb and the aql and the ruh. If I say the ruh, I'm referring to the qalb and the aql and the nafs. Uh, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> right? Like, but when I mention them separately... Then I'm referring, or sorry, when I mention them all together, then I'm referring to specific aspects of that being. Right? I'm referring to specific aspects of that, that subtle subtlety within you. Right? So if I say the qalb and the ruh and the aql and the nafs, when I'm speaking about the qalb, I'm speaking about this aspect of you that changes and that has this aspect to, or this uh, ability to love and that mirrors what comes in front of it. And when I'm saying the aql in that same sentence, you know, the aql refers to your ability to process information and to know things and to make moral judgments, right? And the nafs refers to your identity, who you are as a person. What is it? Everything about you that makes you you. And the ruh is that quality of you that makes you alive, right? And your angelic being that enables you to rise above, right? So, so that's kind of how they telescope together, right? The telescope, when you extend it, they, all the parts look different. But when you put it back together, it's all one, right? It's kind of the opposite of it. Anyways, <laughs> don't think about that too hard. Anyways, the second part is about biochemical changes with emotions and processing and stuff like that. That's very interesting to me. And, you know, I often struggled with this. I often struggled with what I learned in the marvels of the heart with what I was learning in medical school, and so forth. And that's why the first time, the last time we, we, uh, we, we went through this stuff, it was nice because there was always like a, a bunch of doctors. <laughs> and there were always like uh, neurologists. 
<laughs> so, so I, you know, I really I was like springing ideas off of them because I wanted to see how they react. <laughs> they might hear the recording. <laughs> it's okay, they're my bosom friends. Anyways, right? Um, it's interesting because, you know, I was very interested in psychiatry. Uh, now I'm in family medicine, and I'm happy. But uh, I was interested in psychiatry at one point. And, uh, you know, psychiatrists, they're kind of on a spectrum. That's an inside joke. If you're a psychiatrist, you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> Them fighting words. Anyways, right? Um, so psychiatrists are on a spectrum. And you have, like, the more biological psychiatrists, and you have the more psychosocial psychiatrists. Right? Everybody gives drugs or prescriptions, and everybody gives counseling. But the extent to which you do one or the other, it kind of varies. Like some people, some psychiatrists will, you know, they'll just try to find out really briefly what you're suffering. Oh, you have depression? Then take this. You have, like they're not going to deal because like they might have psychologists in the high school, uh, in the in the hospital that you can go through or whatever. And other psychiatrists are very much focused on, you know, spending time with you and finding out about your story and things like that, right? I definitely was more towards the psychosocial aspect. Like that's what interested me about psychiatry. But I found, personally, I felt that, that a lot of the psychiatrists who were interested in the psychosocial aspects, I felt they were a bit more honest. And, you know, I don't mean to be rude, but I felt that they were a bit more frank about the limits of what we can actually know from a science aspect or from a biological aspect. And I remember there was this one lecturer who was really interesting. And uh, he came in and he said, like, you know, we like to, he was an elderly gentleman, um, and he said that, you know, we, we like to pretend that we've got it all figured out, and, you know, we really understand mental health, and we can explain it in terms of chemicals and certain changes and stuff like that. He said, we really don't even know the very basics. And, you know, he said, you know, for example, consciousness. Consciousness seems to violate Newtonian physics. Right. What does that mean? Well, you can see like all sorts of changes in your brain. Like there are certain neurotransmitters and it starts a certain cascade, right? Like this neurotransmitter is at this synapse and that transmits to the next neuron and you know basically there's this process that goes on, right? And the thing that you you see, like you see all this brain activity with all these chemicals and stuff like that. But the thing that you see is, I'm smiling, or I'm speaking to you, or I'm saying certain things. The trouble with that, like that's expressed as consciousness, right? But the trouble with that is, that seems to violate Newtonian physics. Because what, I mean, right? An object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an external force. An object uh, in movement tends to stay in movement unless acted upon by an external force, right? So you have this this neurotransmitter, right? And I can see that it's released and, you know, it goes to the synapse and then it starts to cascade and then all sorts of other things are happening in your brain. What gets the neurotransmitter in the first place? What gets it to start moving? It's still, it's silent, it's not moving. And then all of a sudden this whole, like, dominoes, this, see, right? Dominoes, like all of a sudden the dominoes start falling. What was the first push? Because as far as we know, Thought. Thought is not a force. Thought doesn't just start things moving. So we don't even understand how consciousness works. 
Like something so fundamental. Again, that's one of those things that we have a practical understanding. I can tell you're conscious, right? I can't tell Salih is conscious because he might have those glasses where it has the eyes on it. <laughs> but he looks at the... Anyways. Um, I can tell that you're conscious, but I don't know what that means. Right? Somebody who's sleeping, I can tell they're unconscious. Somebody who's in a coma, I can tell they're unconscious. Somebody who's dead, I can tell they're unconscious. And somebody who's awake, I can tell that they're conscious, but what does that mean? I can't explain that. So, like, how do these unseen realities pertain to the seen realities? And, I mean, honestly, like, the way the brain works, and the way emotions work, and the way, like, things like depression, you know, there's a lot of push to make it sound like it's all, like, scientific and really well laid out, and we have really good medications and stuff like that, that that really deal with exactly what's going on. Psychosis, like psychosis, like you're seeing some somebody or something in the room, right? Um, like my, my friend Fred here, right? Like nobody else sees him, right? Like seeing things that other people don't see. Like what's happening in the brain? And you know, medications, like they have their benefits and they do affect those chemical processes and stuff. But there's a huge aspect of that that we don't even, we haven't even scratched the surface, right? Because medications very often don't work. And, you know, if it was as simple as we'd like to make it out, like if it was just like the domino effect, then in principle you could stop somebody from pushing the domino. But, like, you, you see what I mean? Like if, if I'm having a heart failure, God help me and protect me, but if my lungs are filled with liquid, right, and so I can't breathe, I can give you a medication, like a diuretic, that basically I'll just get rid of all that excess liquid, like I'll pee it off and stuff like that. Pardon my language. <laughs> You're eating. Anyways, right? I can get rid of that, right? And so I'm, there's this clear process. I'm sick, and I can see what's causing me to be sick, and I can give you a medication that will fix the sickness, kind of, sort of thing, right? It doesn't work like that with mental health. It's like, I'm sick. I am depressed. I give you a medication that should fix the chemical imbalances. But maybe the chemicals change, but I'm still depressed. And that happens very often, unfortunately. Um, which isn't to say don't take medications or something like that. I mean, if somebody is dealing with those things, like, that's, not, that's not my point. My point is, though, that, that there's a lot we don't know. And God knows best how we'll find out or if we'll be privy to that knowledge and how does this interact with that God knows does that help yes you mentioned about the five unseen you talk about five unseen things that the unseen the one that we cannot see and things happening and sense some sense to us these unseen things can be positive and negative is this right what do you mean by positive and negative? Like positive means something like, let's say, something to stop you from doing something that mm-hmm. another way right. you, you go further, <laughs> yeah. something bad will happen. Right, you. right. And uh, the negative one, like, do, do you have that? Do you, like, the unseen thing can tell you that if you yeah. do it, this thing will happen. Yeah. And so th- how we can increase that? How we increase that? Those five unseen, like the that to be a positive to us. Well, that's really beautiful, and I think that, inshallah, God willing, that's what the course or this class that we're doing will be all about. 
and like exploring that in more detail. But in general, um, they say that the beginning of the spiritual path, of the path to God, is to know your khawatir, to know these insinuations or to know these whisperings that you have. Where do they come from? Where do they come from? And that's something you can speak about in, in, in theory, but like in practice, it's also often very difficult. Like, for example, um, I want to eat, uh, or I want to drink coffee, for example. That's not a cue for anybody. But anyways, like if, if I want to drink coffee, like where is that coming from? I have a craving for pizza, let's say, right? Where does that come from? I have a profound desire to speak to my friend regarding his difficult relationship with his father. I really want to get in there and give him some good advice. Where does that desire come from? And it's very hard to... But they say generally that these inspirations... You have these inspirations. You have this desire that I want to do something good. I want to go pray. I want to give charity. And you have inspirations to do other things like... uh, I want to go uh, smack Salih in the face. I love Salih. I love <laughs> but I mean, he has those glasses. Anyway. <laughs> so, 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 right? Like you have things that are clearly good and clearly bad, and then you have things in, in between that are kind of a little bit more murky. And in general, they say that the sources of your inspirations are four. Inspirations of disbelief, of rejection of the truth, they come from Satan and from, from, from demons. Inspirations, because that's, that's really the essence of the matter. Once a person rejects the truth, then they, they, don't live by, they don't have to live by any principles anymore. Inspirations to do uh, wrong things generally come from the lower self. Right? Like if somebody wants to drink alcohol or somebody wants to have uh, a tryst with somebody else right? or somebody wants to do something that those often come from the self and from the lower self and, and one of the signs that's coming from the lower self is that it's persistent right? like I really want to eat that croissant the 20th one right and I try to, I try to like, okay, no, no, I have to avoid that croissant. And then what happens? Right? You, you, you keep thinking about the croissant. You're like, no, I have to stop thinking about that croissant. And you're like, no, I'm going to go. And you just keep thinking about the croissant, right? It's persistent. It just come, keeps coming back and back and back and back and back and back until you finally give in to it. Right? That's one of the signs that an inspiration is coming from your lower self. Inspirations to do good things, like to give charity and to... Uh, spend time with your brother or your sister or to pray or whatever. Those things are angelic inspirations. And those are whisperings and good things that you hear from the angels. And you just have this sudden desire, like, I want to do something good. I want to help set up this Tarjuma event. I want to contribute financially. <laughs> I'm the worst fundraiser ever. Anyways. <laughs> right? Like, those are angelic inspirations, inshallah. And inspirations of Tawheed, these inspirations of a profound recognition of the truth, of the oneness of God, of God's reality, of God's being, 
these profound unveilings and openings, these things are inspirations that come from God Himself. And in fact, all of these inspirations ultimately come from God. But inspirations of Tawheed, inspirations towards the truth, those are inspirations that come without any intermediary. They come straight from God. But those are some of the things we like to talk about in this regard, inshallah. And, uh, yes, sir. Yes, yes, please. So we're, gonna, we're, close, we're coming to a close right now. Uh, we, unfortunately, often don't, won't have enough time to cover all the questions in a single session. So we've set up an email address, marvels at tarjuma.ca. Marvels at tarjuma.ca. So if you have a question that we can't answer during the session or if a question emerges in the middle of the week, uh, you have a thought that you want to share, uh, send an email that way, and inshallah we'll cover it in the, the week that follows. Uh, and again, a reminder that we got the donation stuff set up here, so if you uh, are so inclined, you can drop uh, a couple bucks. Are so inspired. Yeah, and we're going to be starting again next week, inshallah, at 10 o'clock. Hopefully 10, 10 on the top. And so اللهم وفقنا لما تحبه وترضى وجعلنا من عبيدك السعداء وأمتنا على كلمة الهدى علمنا ما ينفعنا ووفقنا للعمل بما علمتنا به واجعل ما نحن فيه خالصا مخلصا لوجهك الكريم يا رب العالمين اللهم اجعل تجمعنا هذا تجمعا مرحوما وتفرقنا بعده تفرقا معصوما لا شقيا منا ولا محروما وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعليه وصحبه اجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين Thank you for coming. Allah bless you. I'm very happy to see you all and I hope we all come together every week for the next few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that,